0: If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me once more to Amos chapter 8, and this morning I want us to consider verses 11 through verse 14 of Amos chapter 8. We looked at the entirety of this chapter in our time together last week, and you'll remember that the context of this chapter is a vision of a basket of summer fruit which Amos was shown by the Lord, and the ripened fruit was a fitting picture of the northern kingdom of Israel because God had said that they were ripe for His judgment due to their refusal to obey His Word. And so their opportunity for repentance had come to an end, and just like the summer comes to an end and with it a time for harvesting. So they had come to the close of a window of opportunity. And I showed you that within this chapter, there is a comparison being made as Israel is likened to this basket of summer fruit that's been picked, ripened fruit that's already picked. There is a corruption that's been exposed in verses 4 through 6 because for Israelite society greed was more important than God. Things were more important than people. Material increase was more important than personal integrity. And for all of this and more, God was holding His people accountable. And once His judgment began to work itself out in their midst, the Lord says that it would result in convulsions throughout the land. Their society would be shaken, by an experience involving disaster. The land would tremble, the sun would be darkened, their streets would be filled with mourners. And it all really emphasizes the point that when man gets out of step with God, the world that God has made gets out of step with man. And you think about how this is true, you see this in Genesis chapter three, the ground itself was cursed because of Adam's sin. And so, for Israel, their worship was in shambles. As a result, their world would be in shambles. And it would be this divine decree of God, Genesis 3, working itself out through the course of human society. And really, the explanation of the uncertainties and the tragedies that often afflict the world through natural laws is a result of sin. Going all the way back to the Garden of of Eden, going all the way back to what we read in Genesis chapter 3. Without an understanding of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're going to be in the dark when it comes to processing what the real issue is in the world today. And so this is the point that the Apostle Paul himself makes in the New Testament. Uh, He says in Romans 8 that creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. He says that the creation was subjected to futility as a direct result of the curse. And uh, all of creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. And so whether it be earthquakes or pandemics, uh, whether it be famine or catastrophic storms, whether it be the chaos that ensues because of man's inhumanity to his fellow man, all of this, these are birth pains intended to make us ready for a sudden arrival. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 24 when he told his disciples what to be on the lookout prior to his sudden return. He says, Be careful that no one deceives you. Many are going to come in my name, claiming to be the Savior. They're going to deceive many. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. But he says, See that you're not troubled by this, because all of this has to come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then he says, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines pestilences, earthquakes in various places, and all of these are merely the beginning of sorrows. And these types of events will increase in terms of their frequency and their intensity the closer that we get to the coming of the Lord. And all of this, it's the judgment of God working itself out through natural occurrences as well as the fallout of man's conflicting kingdoms But behind the scenes, this is God at work, working to bring sinful man back to himself. Every time that some disaster happens, it ought to be a reminder to us of our accountability to our Creator and just how much we need Him. So God is warning the people through Amos that they're ripe for the picking, and by refusing to repent and believe the Word, they would be left to reap the consequences of their sin. Now, this morning, I want you to look with me in particular at verse number 11, because one final evidence that God has given a society over to reap the consequences of its sin will be the confusion that consumes that society, which has rejected His truth. And so, notice what the Lord says there through the prophet, verse 11. The Bible says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God. When I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. And in that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. What we find in these pictures is a society in the grip of confusion. And so I want to speak from that subject this morning, society in confusion. The society that rejects the truth of God has no other option but confusion. And that is what's being said to God's people that had rejected his word. Through the prophet Amos, as a result of their rejection, they're going to be given over to the consequences of their rejection, and it will be a confusion that consumes their society. You know, Israel had known the truth. Israel had been the privileged recipients of spiritual blessing throughout their history. And even in their disobedience, God had been faithful to send them prophet after prophet who declared His word. And yet what more can God do when people turn a deaf ear and refuse to hear His voice? The writer of Hebrews says, We've got to give a more earnest heed to the things that we've heard lest we drift away. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received the just reward, here's the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How will we escape if we refuse to submit our lives to God's revealed will in his word? The answer is we won't escape. And a society that rejects the light of His Word will find itself left completely in the dark. And that's the point that's being made here at the end of Amos chapter 8. So what happens when society rejects the truth of God? God will throw that nation into confusion... The land will be consumed by a famine of truth. Moral confusion will be the outworking of God's judgment in that society. And all of that is being expressed through the prophet Amos here in these verses. Now I want to show you at least three things that are involved as confusion engulfs or overtakes a society that's rejected God's word. So notice first of all it involves a famine for hearing God's word. And I just want to lift these principles right out of the passage. There is a famine of hearing God's Word. Again, you go back to the whole chapter, the basket of summer fruit, the comparison, the society under judgment due to its corruption, it's experiencing convulsion throughout the land as a consequence, and the final marker will be this society is handed over to confusion and that confusion will consume that society. Truth will be lost to the society that insists upon going its own way apart from God. And that's what Amos says here beginning in verse 11. And a few things are worth mentioning here. Notice the seriousness of the famine that's being described in verse 11. And God says that the days would come when the land would experience famine. Famine. And famine is always a serious thing. The word translated famine there, it's a word that means hunger or dearth. It's a word that you'll find mentioned at least 101 times throughout the Old Testament. And there are some 13 serious famines that are described throughout the Old Testament. But in those days, famine represented the most devastating catastrophe to an agrarian form of society whether it be caused by drought or whether it was crop failure, whether it was a siege that was laid upon a certain city by an invading army. Famine always brought about disease, brought about war, brought adversity to multiple levels of society. And so famine is a very serious thing, and that may be something we have a hard time understanding living in days of abundance. Uh, When you are hungry... In our society, you can always go to the local grocery store and you can buy you a loaf of bread. Ask your children, where does bread come from? They say, well, it comes from the store. Mom goes to the neighborhood market there and she gets the the, the bread. She comes home with groceries once a week. That's where it comes from. And yet, all of us realize that there's nothing short of a miracle that's gone into that loaf of bread that you go into the store to purchase. We tend to forget this in a modern society, but there's a process involving nature that goes into that loaf of bread. Weather conditions have to be just right during the growing season. Farmers have to have all of the necessary uh, elements to be able to grow the grain, harvest the grain. There's a baking process and all that goes into that loaf of bread, and the farmer is subject to the laws of nature which nature's God has created. A famine comes along and and upends that process. And in an agrarian society, this could mean the death of that society. So Amos is using the language of famine here to describe spiritual drought due to the absence of God's Word in society. A famine implies a lack of bread. But this time, the famine is not a lack of physical bread, but it's spiritual bread. It's not a lack of satisfaction for their stomachs. It would be a lack of satisfaction for their souls. And God says that no matter where they turn in their society, confusion would be all that remains. He says in verse 12 that they would run everywhere to try to find some answers to solve their problems, but no answers would be found no matter which direction they turned. So that's the the seriousness then of this famine. But notice something else. Notice the source of it. The source behind the famine. uh, It's the Lord God who says, I am going to send a famine on the land. That expression, I will, is used at least 19 times by God in these last two chapters in Amos. And it's intended to drive home this point that there's a sovereign God working behind the scenes of their society. It's the Lord God uh, who is sovereign, sovereign Lord. Some translations say sovereign Lord there. And so the message that's being conveyed, it's that God is sovereign over the circumstances of life. And in this case, he's handing the nation over to the confusion that would ensue as the result of having rejected his truth. And so the lesson here is this, God is sovereign over the happenings of our lives, and He will use whatever means are necessary to achieve His purposes, and in this case, He's sending this famine as means of His judgment, not a physical famine, but a spiritual famine. and the moral confusion and the total inability to solve their problems, uh, there's a direct correlation with them having rejected the truth of God. By way of an illustration, I I think about what happened there in the wilderness. Numbers chapter 11. You remember God's people had been brought out of Egypt. They had been brought through the Red Sea that parted. Uh, They came to Mount Sinai. The law of God was given. God sustained the hunger of his people. Every morning they went out to gather manna. And there was a spiritual lesson that was intended to be conveyed through that tangible object of the manna. That God is the one who sustains his people. They needed the bread that comes down from heaven in order to satisfy not just their stomach physically, but their soul spiritually. Well, Numbers chapter 11 talks about how there came a point when God's people got very tired of the manna and they began to complain. And, and in their hearts, they go back to Egypt and they remember how they used to sit around the flesh pots of Egypt and they longed for a juicy piece of steak. They longed for something like meat that they could sink their teeth into. Oh, how things were so good. And they forgot all about their bondage in Egypt because their mind was so consumed with the meat. And so they missed those flesh pots. And, and, And the psalmist says in Psalm 106 that God gave them what they wanted. He sent quail, but He sent leanness to their soul. What if God gives you what you want, but it's not really what you need? And that's kind of the point that's being driven home here. It's not the satisfying bread of God that His people want, but they exchange, that in truth, uh, in, they exchange that in pursuit of their own desires, their own appetites, and that's the way it'll always be with the person who exchanges the truth of God for the lies of the world. The judgment of God on a society that turns away from truth is handing that society over to the consequences of following lies. reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says will be characteristic of the last days. Uh, there's a spirit of lawlessness that will be true of society in general in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the world, and the coming of the lawless one, also known as the Antichrist, The coming of the lawless one will be by the activity of Satan, with all power, false signs and wonders, with wicked deception for those who are perishing, listen to this, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And then Paul says this, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. God sends the delusion. God sends the spiritual famine. God allows them to be handed over to their own ideologies. They believe what's false in order that they might be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so the point then is that there's going to be a spirit of confusion and deception at work in the world in the last days And it will be due to the fact that people refuse to love the truth and be saved. So the world is going to be ready and prepared for the coming of Antichrist because God will have handed it over at that point to the consequences of the moral confusion that society chose for itself. And that's why the Antichrist is going to seem like a savior to the world, a world that's in darkness. Wow! So have you ever thought about that? Just the judgment of God involves the ordinary consequences of decisions that are made where you reject His truth, God will allow you to follow the consequences of those choices and reap the harvest of those choices. So the seriousness of this famine, the source of this famine, and then notice the significance of the famine… Where there's a loss of truth, there's a loss of understanding. Verse 12 says that God's people, they're going to be wandering from sea to sea, from north to east, running to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Confusion fills the void left behind by the absence of truth. So it's a picture of a society that's really lost its way. It's like a ship at sea that's drifting with the billows of the waves that are coming because the moorings, the anchor has been removed. It's a tragic description of society that's lost its way. Man is left trying to figure out things on his own, but he is unable. Remember, it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, we live in a society and in a world that wants to program you into believing that you're nothing more than just an educated animal, and yet the Bible tells us that there is an unseen component to our humanity, which the Bible calls the spirit or the soul and yet we live in sort of a, a, the worldview today, the prevalent worldview of our time is, is nothing more than this naturalist way of viewing the world, that you're nothing more than your appetites, you're nothing more than the physical part of your humanity. And so what you have then is a society full of people who are trying to find some type of ultimate meaning and purpose for their life, but they're trying to find it in something that's tangible, something that's a part of creation. Why? Because they've lost the knowledge of the Creator Himself, and there is no sufficient answer as far as your purpose and the meaning behind your life, unless you understand what the writer of Hebrews says, that it's by faith we understand that the things that are seen were made by that which is unseen. And so that's what Jesus is saying there when he says, man shall not live by bread alone. You've been made for more than just physical food, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is so very practical for our lives, especially given the cultural dynamic of our time. So God is saying here that the confusion of their society would be the result of them having rejected His Word. God had withdrawn from Amos' generation the very blessings that they had despised. God spoke, but they rejected what was said. God had revealed His Word, but they would have none of it. God sent prophets with the message intended to lead them to repentance, but they stopped up their ears. They ran those prophets out of town. and Things were going to go south in a hurry. And when the bottom fell out of their society, they would want a word from God. But God says they wouldn't be able to find it no matter where they looked. Why? Because society would be in the grip of confusion. Wow, what a, what a sobering thought. Aren't you grateful for the Word of God and the firm foundation that's yours as a believer? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? He's given us what we need. In his word. So there's a famine for hearing God's word. This is characteristic of this society in the grip of confusion. Now, notice the second thing. And the second thing is fainting out of a sense of thirst. When confusion engulfs society, it's evident of famine for the truth. And famine leads to starving to death for lack of something to eat, or thirsting to death for lack of something to drink. And so notice an emphasis there in verse 13 on the lovely virgins and the young men of Israel's society. These are the youngest members of society that are being referred to there. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. So these are the most impressionable of society. These are the members of society that represent the future. And on the day that God gives that society over to its moral confusion, the youth of the nation are going to suffer for it. They don't know which end is up. They're not able to process right from wrong because of the confusion that's handed down to them by their leaders. And so the chaos of society then is going to take its toll out on the nation's youth. So Amos is painting this picture here of young people in the prime of life not having a clue as to what life is really all about. Which, by the way, I don't know anybody, you know, in in the prime of life as a young person who truly understands what life is all about. We're figuring out all of those things. And every now and then you'll hear someone say something like this, well, just give, give them space to sow their wild oats. Anybody ever tell you that? when you were coming along? Or did they warn you about sowing those wild oats? Here's the thing, you sow wild oats, you'll reap a wild harvest, because you always reap what you sow. But we're figuring things out when we're young. And while we're young, we tend to think that we do have it all figured out, only to find out a little bit later on, you know, my parents whom I criticized when I was coming along, they really knew something. (laughs) I should have listened to them a little bit more. So here you have young people fainting for thirst because society has nothing to offer them to drink. Instead, they've worshipped false gods, referred to there in verse number 14. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, the God of Dan, the way of Beersheba. These represent the ideologies of the time. The example that was put forward before the watching eyes of the nation's youth The nation's young people were taught that this was what really matters, the guilt of Samaria, the God of Dan, the way of Beersheba. And so they buy into the lies that are handed down from a former generation. Alec Mateer says this. He says, the coming generation is the hope of the future, but it comes as heir to the present generation, and for all of its energy and confidence, it's not sufficient in itself for the strains of life. It's the youth of the nation who get hooked on or hooked after the guilt of Samaria, the God of Dan, the way of Beersheba. The very readiness for something new which is proper to their youth makes them fair game for the religious quacks, the isms of the time, and the fads and fancies of the time. But as Amos sees it, they're feigning for thirst. Out of an undiagnosed longing for God's truth, that an earlier generation had deprived them of the possibility of finding. That's a mouthful of a statement right there. So it's the youngest, of the, genera- the youngest of society who get caught up with the fads of the times, who buy into the ideologies of the times, and those ideologies may in fact be destructive and corrosive and detrimental, but they don't know it because there's nobody there to show them a better way. And so it's a dead-end street. When truth goes, hope and the future go with it, and as goes the nation's young people, so goes the nation. I would commend an organization to you known as the Impact 360 Institute. You could check out their website. A lot of helpful articles there, especially if you are concerned for the next generation, which all of us should be. If you've got children in your home, teenagers in your home, maybe you're a grandparent uh, who you, your grandchildren you, you're, you're so concerned about, but Impact 360 Institute. There was an article that they did, that they released a couple years ago. They did a joint survey uh, or research project with, uh, with the Barna Group. Uh, but they said that this new study that the Barna Group revealed about Generation Z which is the 69 to 70 million children and teens born between 1999 and 2015, which we would call the 9-11 generation. But this is the least Christian, most racially, religiously, sexually diverse generation in American history. Gen Z is also very confused about moral and spiritual truth. Relativism is on the rise in the next generation. And so the focus groups that we conducted with the Barna Group on Gen Z made this clear. Both Christian and non-Christian teenagers were confused when it came to moral truth. Over and over again, we heard phrases like this, I don't know. I'm so confused. I'm not sure what to think. I don't want to push what I believe on other people. Their research also revealed that 24% of Generation Z agrees that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. 21% believe what is morally right and wrong depends upon what an individual personally believes. Now folks, that's a troubling trend and it really ought to serve as a wake-up call for how we think about engaging and equipping the next generation. Let me tell you something. I don't want my children to faint of thirst because I didn't lead them to the fountain of living water. I want them to know that there is a fountain that never runs dry. And his name is Jesus Christ Christ. And that they can build their life upon the solid bedrock of his word. And Jesus said, listen, those who build their life upon my word, it's like building your life upon solid ground. Or if you're like the foolish person, you build your life upon the sand, you'll only discover that that's not a foundation worth building upon. And anything else other than God's word, and anything else other than the gospel, I'm telling you, It's sand. That's why Ephesians 6 says, you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The NIV says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the instruction, the training of the Lord. You don't want them to faint for thirst or to be swept away by the moral confusion of our time, then give them something real. Build your family, build your life, build your home upon God's Word. Make the most of every opportunity that you have to get your entire family under the regular systematic preaching and teaching of God's Word. But Sunday's not enough. Every day, every opportunity, you still have children in your home. Oh. May the truth of God wash over their little lives through the conversation that you have, through the example that you set, through what you prioritize, through the value system that you leave for them. There's nothing more important than raising the next generation in the fear of God. So that's what Amos is saying here. But this confused society, oh, the nation's young people are going to suffer as a result of the confusion. You know what? We've got a real opportunity in our generation, don't we, to be the church, to be a shining light on a hill, uh, radiating, shining the light of God's truth into a darkened world that's so very confused. So when confusion engulfs the society, it will be a famine of God's word. There will be fainting for lack of thirst or for lack of, of something to drink, rather. And then third, notice one final thing, There will be a falling to never rise again. And again, notice, there's just a progression there in the text. Famine, that leads to fainting. Fainting leads to falling. Look there in the last part of verse number 14. Those who pursue the ideologies of Samaria, the false god of Dan, the way of Beersheba, they shall fall and will never rise again. So again, it's just this progression. God's given the society over to its appetites, but the things that it craves can never satisfy its hunger or quench its thirst, and it ends up dying as a result. In his judgments, God has so determined that man's world collapsed inwardly on itself like a house of cards or like a sandcastle that the tide is about to sweep away. Those who swear by their idols will only fall never to rise again. I told you last week you could write Romans 1 out in the margin of your Bible here in Amos chapter 8. This is Romans 1. This is an Old Testament illustration of what Paul describes in Romans 1. Where a society is given over by God having rejected its truth, having exchanged the knowledge of the Creator in exchange for worshiping that which is created, God gives that society over to the consequences of its choices. And so confusion. It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul talks about sexual confusion, moral confusion that's characteristic of the society That's rejected the truth of God. It's left in the dark trying to figure things out, and all it's left with is just desire. Appetites run wild, unrestrained. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis uh, made an interesting observation about confusion that swept through the Western society in the wake of the sexual revolution with all of its fixation on all things pornographic. C.S. Lewis said, suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? One critic even said if he found a country in which such striptease acts with food were popular, he would conclude that the people of that country were starving to death. So in the wake of the sexual revolution, C.S. Lewis simply made this point that society now is awash in all things pornographic But it really is just a symptom of a famine deep within the soul. And we're a society of people literally starving to death. Ours is a confused society starving to death in the grip of moral confusion. Moral confusion. There are problems everywhere, and yet there are so few who seem to have any answers and then you add to, the fact, add to the fact that our nation's leaders are like the blind, trying to lead the blind. Do you not find it just a bit ironic this week that our president issued a mandate to those who are unvaccinated in our country in the name of protecting lives, while at the same time sued a state that legally enacted legislation protecting the lives of the most vulnerable of society, the unborn. And if that's not moral insanity or perverted justice, I don't know what is. But it's indicative of the confusion that's engulfed our society as we've turned away from God, thinking that we know better. Thinking that God and His Word, this is, this is superstition from a bygone era. But such rejection has only resulted in a famine for truth. And Amos 8 reveals that something else will always fill the void left behind. Where there's an absence of truth, lies and confusion will fill the void left behind. Wow, what a sobering passage of Scripture. God's going to say, I'm going to send a famine that's worse than you not having food, worse than you not having water to drink. This is not a famine for bread. This is not a thirst for water. I'm going to send a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. Be grateful for God's Word in your life this morning. Our condition would be absolutely hopeless if we did not have the Word of God. You think about all of the evil in the world we live in all of the wickedness of the world we live in. If we didn't have God's Word, we'd be totally in the dark. But thank God that He's given us insight about who He is, how to know Him, how to look to Him in terms of our future. And Jesus Christ is the answer. God has spoken, and John says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The writer of Hebrews says in times past God spoke to our fathers through the prophets in many times, in many ways but in these last days He has spoken through His Son the Lord Jesus and He's the answer for our confused world. Let's stand for prayer this morning. All of this points us to the cross of Christ because it was there that my judgment was faced, my debt was paid, my sin atoned for. Through his death on the cross, Jesus faced the famine caused by man's sin. He fainted under the weight of it. He fell in my place. But listen, he didn't fall never to rise again. (laughs) Aren't you grateful that there's one who fell, who died for you, but on the third day he rose again? And those who place their faith and their trust in him, he raises to endless life. And that's the hope that only the gospel offers a person. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, though we live in a chaotic, confused time, you have spoken. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for the truth of your word. and We look to Jesus Christ in such confusing times. And Jesus is the answer for our world. And Lord, may those of us who've been gripped by the truth, changed by the truth, who possess the life of God, oh God, may we take seriously our role in the world to shine forth the light of your word. I know, Lord God, that in this room there's some men and women who have some decisions to make. They need some wisdom. That wisdom will be found through your word. Wisdom for the family. Wisdom for our church. Wisdom in the world. God, you provide it all right here in your word. And we're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.